We are back, and you're listening to the Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. With Erdogan leading, Turkeya election heads to runoff. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan led his challenger by a healthy margin after a first round of voting in Turkeya's pivotal election. This is according to preliminary results announced today by the National Elections Board. The board said a runoff election would be held May 28th. How significant is this and how surprising is this? For insight, let's turn to our next guest. He's the host of the Left is Dead podcast, James Carey. As always, James, welcome back. How are you going to be here? Well, I'm talking about Turkey. So I <laughs> met Yenner, the chairman of the Supreme Election Board, said that as of today, as of this morning, Erdogan had received 49.5% of the vote to uh, his uh, challengers, 44.9. And your thoughts, do you think, well, let me put it this way. How do you think Erdogan is receiving this news? Uh, well, I think he's, I, I assume he's not happy that he has to go to a runoff. Um, he, this is the first runoff they've had since they changed the elections to the presidential system. So this isn't exactly great. I mean, obviously, this is a guy who is a very bold leader um, and he's a very charismatic and his party revolves a lot around him. So to see things go, you know, to falter a little bit and have to go into a runoff, I'm sure he's not hyped about. But he did come out way better than he was projected to. I mean, he could have lost probably, you know, as far as polling went. So I think he's probably happy that he's going into the runoff with as strong as he is. And I think he's probably happy that the AKP is set to win parliament because one of the arguments I think he's going to make going back out there on the campaign trail in the lead up to the runoff is he's going to argue you don't want to split government that won't do anything while Turkey's already in crisis. You know, you don't want an AKP uh, parliament and then a CHP president because nothing will get done. What do you think about how this will affect the um, the Kurds uh, Kurdish situation? In that, I was I've been reading that um, apparently, may potentially outside influence was as we're pushing the Kurds that a lot a lot of Kurds voted you know against him. That there is suspicion that they there may have been some external influence from the West. But at any rate, how do you think that the Kurdish dynamic changes, if at all, in as a result? Let's just say if he wins and keeps his majority. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, any Kurdish politician who kind of rebelled against them or anything like that uh, resisted the AKP. They face the challenges they always do. If any Turkish politician wins in the South, they could be removed from their seat at any time. But I'm hoping that this election in particular will bring an end to sort of the adventures into northern Syria, right? Because they're, Turkey's normalizing relations with Damascus. And I think that's actually going to do a favor for the Kurds, whether they realize it or not by, you know, sort of ceasing Turkey's necessity of operating in northern Syria as far as they see it. I think that that may actually stand a chance for Kurds outside of Turkey. But inside Turkey, I'm not sure because I do think Erdogan is going to have to continue using the sort of ethno-nationalist rhetoric he's always used uh, to keep going. But I, I don't know that there's enough Kurdish voters to trust the opposition because they were the ones who didn't sign the ceasefire. And if you remember, Erdogan was a lot more liberal on Kurds 20 years ago, so who knows if he could switch back if things go a certain way. Um, there's a lot of factors in Turkey that could change how he acts towards them. The recent earthquake and the response to that earthquake, there were some that said uh, that the government was slow to respond. There were some that said the response 
was selective based on geography and based on ethnicity. Your thoughts on the impact that the earthquake had on this outcome and well, I'll just leave it there. Your, your thoughts there. Yeah, I think the earthquake, much like other uh, moves within the civil service, kind of strengthened Erdogan, honestly. Um, aid probably was distributed a bit unfairly, but that's because Erdogan knows his, you know, his base. They're mostly rural areas or in city suburbs where people move out of rural areas to get closer to Ankara, Istanbul. Um, I think Erdogan knew that this was kind of the priority here. And with the limited resources they have, I mean, this is a country in economic freefall still. You know, their inflation spiraling out of control. So I think that they were limited in what they delivered. But from what I heard, a lot of the response was good from a lot of people. And then, I, you know, other sources will say it was terrible. But I think that if it was going to have a major effect on the election, it would have done so already, right? I mean, you wouldn't have come this close. And combine that with, you know, the increased pay for civil servants, increasing the minimum wage in Turkey, all these kind of patronage systems that Erdogan set out. And basically, politics, he's doing politics. I know Americans won't understand that, but, um, you know, he's doing politics. And that's what he was doing. If it's true, you know, uh, if it's unevenly distributed, this is how anything in America would be, though. I mean, this is every country, right? Everything's unevenly distributed. Yeah, look at Hurricane Katrina and the response to Katrina. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Puerto Rico. And right, same thing. Um, okay, so let's give your projections. What do you think happens um, as far as does he, he? It appears, I guess, the AKP. Well, anyway, your proje- projections on the parliament. Your your projections on what happens with the outcome of his uh, runoff. I think it's the eighteenth. I believe something like that. Uh, the twenty. Some twenty. The, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and the and the yeah. twenty the twenty eighth. Um, okay. I think the AKP is going to manage to hold on to a thin majority at this point from what I'm seeing in the polls um, in parliament, but the presidential election, I think Erdogan may have it honestly on the runoff. Um, The fact that he got that far ahead in the first round should show that he obviously has more support than people want to admit. And he's clearly popular in the country. Still, you can draw millions out to any rally. So um, I think he'll probably win because at this point, the only thing that uh, is going for him is to sort of go out there and say, well, Anyone who didn't vote for me from, say, like Kurdish voters or more right wing nationalist voters who don't like Erdogan, all he can do is say, if you didn't vote for me, come out now. But I think if anybody wanted to vote to stop Erdogan, they would have already done that. Do you see Erdogan having to make concessions, having to form uh, other alliances in order for him to secure his position or can he uh, continue his business as usual? Uh, he'll have to still rely on his coalition partners in the MHP to get him over the halfway mark. I mean, look, they always said that he won't be in the the AKP won't be in the majority on its own. It'll be, and that's what people need to remember. I think too is the MHP's always been a coalition partner for the last five six election cycles. Um, this is the other nationalist party that Turkey or that Erdogan and the AKP have taken on as a partner to make sure they always win uh, a majority. And you know they've done things like shift the bar for what the minimum is to get into parliament to help the MHP, uh, even though it helps other parties sometimes on accident. But yeah, I think that with the MHP around, as long as they can, they hold up their base of support, I think they're going to be okay as far as having a majority that'll actually be able to make laws. What do you think, um, if, if Erdogan maintains um, control, uh, what happens? What is he going to do as far as Syria and the Kurds there? I think you're going to just continue to see more um, normalization. I think that I'm hoping that he's putting in place something because I don't think Russia is going to let him stay forever. I think they're going to put in some place where, um, you know, Syria is going to take back over control. But 
there's going to be have to a deal's going to have to be made with Turkey because they got a lot of Syrian migrants sitting around. That's been a huge issue. This election is what are we going to do with all these Syrian refugees from the war? And I mean, there's millions of Syrians there. So I think every single one of them announced a plan. Every single candidate announced a plan that to repatriate Syrians because obviously the country's already broke and this is a rough time to be dealing with that type of crisis. So I think that they're going to work and it's probably Erdogan best in a position to do that. They're going to have to work with the Syrian government to repatriate these people in a way that's you know, doesn't cause more disaster or something like that. Al Jazeera reports Israeli demolition of Palestinian Bedouin homes spike in Nakab. Palestinian residents say the rise in Nakab demolitions is linked to the new Israeli government's policy. What is this policy and your thoughts? Yeah, I guess just being a, being a jerk policy, right? Being it's just petty, you know, this is a horrible policy, but it's, um, it's a sort of, you know, what they do, they're trying to wipe out an ethnic tradition. These are like Bedouin villages that have been around forever, right? I mean, these people have lived in the area forever. They've lived the same way forever. They're living in houses made out of you know, plastic and metal. So uh, I think this is just more of Israel's attempt to do what they're always doing, which is wipe out any culture that was in Palestine before they got there, try to pretend it doesn't exist. You know, we'll talk a bit about the Nakba, I think, but they're trying to wipe out any history that anybody was there before them, because what is their biggest argument is like, there is no Palestinians, there's Jordanians or whatever. So I think that this is just another, I think that's especially bothersome one to them too, is these bad, like the Bedouin types who are still out in the middle of nowhere, because look at, they proved that they've been there a long time. Nobody's lived like that in the modern era. Right. So these Bedouins have been around for such a long time that I don't think they can prove, you know, they don't like it because it proves that, Oh, maybe you weren't here such and such years ago, you know, so it's an erasure of Palestinian culture. Yours talking about the Bedouins and, and one of the reasons why we put this story in today is because one of the slogans that the Zionists love to cite is a land without a people for a people without a land. And so you're talking about the Bedouins and how long the Bedouins have been there. They've been there since since the beginning of time, uh, you, you, your thoughts about about that phrase and and how that phrase fits into your analysis? Yeah, that's exactly it. Because I mean, the land did have a people, right? They just weren't managing it the way the Israelis wanted it. They didn't build the temple or whatever. But yeah, this is a sort of you know they, we see this a lot. Netanyahu has that brick in his office with his last name on it. He says it's like two thousand years old or whatever. You know, so there's always these kind of like just magicians and like mystics who bring in this false Israeli history. And I think that that's a big part of this because yeah, again, the Bedouins prove that what people didn't, people lived in the desert like this for thousands of years. There was a, you know, Israelites around that means they were around with these Bedouins. These are the Bedouins that they fought in the book. You know, it's all there. There were people there, even the Bible admits. So the, the Torah, the old Testament, whatever you want. So yeah, it's just, they do this all the time where they try to create this false history for Israeli territory. And I think this is just another part of it. Yeah, they're making it seem like, oh, well, this place was always just waiting for us. 
I would say this and get your comment on it. It seems like it's getting more difficult for Israel to maintain the facade of being, you know, this um, uh, modern day democratic, you know, uh, semi-liberal democracy um, in that the pure violence and viciousness of their policies. We see that in even in the West, who has violent and vicious policies, it's still do, distasteful for a number of countries, particularly Europe, et cetera, and, and, and even in the U.S., there are people that are turning their back on it. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's it. And they get more desperate. And, like, you know, look at how many times they smash these Bedouin houses, right? They're just trying over and over to desperately make Israel what they want it to be. But the issue is, is you can't just kill all the Palestinians, and they're still there. And it turns out there's just as many as there are Israelis at this point. So uh, and they're losing the sort of fight for the narrative there because there's too many Palestinians with the conventional, you know, the Internet in everybody's pocket and everything like that. It's much harder to hide the crimes that they do. So I think the more the more people see this, the more desperate they are to finish the project, right? To make it seem like, oh, there was nobody here. We don't have to look into anything. You know, I think they're just kind of pushing to reach that goal. But I don't think they'll do it. But that's why you're seeing the liberal facade fade. There is no more. Oh, this is the most tolerant place in the Middle East, and uh, you know, all that's gone because they just don't have time for it. And final point: Counterpunch has a piece. Israel denies the Nakba while perpetuating it. Your thoughts there? Yeah, again, make it look like it, the place was empty, right? Nobody was here. We didn't take anything. It wasn't violent. It wasn't expulsion of millions of people. Um, uh, rewriting modern history and ancient history all at once, right? It's rewriting how long the Jews were there before. Rewriting what's going on now and what happened since they showed up there again after the war. Um, I, this is just, it's completely trying to wash out any history the, the Palestinians have in that area, which I think is a ridiculous project. It's a horrible project, obviously, but it's a ridiculous effort by them because they won't do it. James Carey, as always, thank you so much for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate that analysis, and we look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you. Folks, you're listening to the Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 